صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners. We're coming to you from Melbourne, but we're going to be speaking to a dear friend of Palestine Remembered, a dear Palestinian in Jerusalem. His name is Adnan. I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a moment. But first, I'm going to talk to you about Sheikh Jarrah and what's going on there. Sheikh Jarrah is in East Jerusalem. It's a village that was created post the 1948 Nakba, and it was created for some Palestinian refugee families in the early 50s. At that time, East Jerusalem was under the Jordanian mandate, and in conjunction with UNRWA, the UN Agency for Refugees, they agreed to build some housing units for these Palestinian refugees. This is in the early 50s. Here we are now in 2021, post-1967 in the Israeli occupation of East Jerusalem, and the Israelis creating in their own words, the undivided capital of the state of Israel. They have begun Judaizing the whole of Jerusalem in a manner first set out by Golda Meir in the early 70s with a view to increasing the Jewish demography of the city to something of the order of 70-30. They want 70% Jewish residents of Greater Jerusalem and 30% Palestinian. In the early 70s, a Jewish settler group endeavoured to create legal precedents as to how they could claim Sheikh Jarrah, and they went to the Jewish courts. These are organisations funded out of the United States, and they're able to start getting some court victories. One must remember that the occupation court system is actually predicated in favour of the settler against the Indigenous Palestinian. Along that journey, they've had judgments in their favour, the settler organisations, and a number of families have been thrown out. The court has ruled recently that a number of families are going to be thrown out of their homes this week. In fact, sometime this week, we'll get another judgment from that Israeli court, which we don't expect to be in our favor. Interestingly, the Jewish settler organizations have got documents that they prove Jewish ownership of that land. A Palestinian, Khalil Tavashi, he's a cartographer. He went, in fact, to Turkey, to Ankara, and looked at the original Ottoman era documents and was able to substantiate that those documents that the Jewish settler organization was using were indeed fakes. That was presented to the court, but obviously nothing was done with that. The reality is that the Israeli courts are both judge, jury, and legislation, and they're all in the service of uh, Jewish settlers. In reality, the international law dictates that the civil law, the Israeli judicial system, has no legal authority over the population or any population it occupies. The rest of the world recognizes East Jerusalem as Palestinian, as illegally occupied land. And so that system doesn't, doesn't apply to Palestinians. We have a Palestinian on the ground, Hadnan, who's studying journalism and English literature at Bethlehem University. He's a 21-year-old student. He lives in the old city of, of Jerusalem in Palestine himself. Hadnan, welcome. Thank you for hosting me today. It's a pleasure to have you, Adnan. Then why don't you tell us what's going on, what, what you're seeing there? To start with, what we are seeing at Al-Jashirrah is like a serial scenery of a Nakba that happened in 1948. The craziest thing about what's happening at Al-Jashirrah now that uh, 
whenever now I argue with any Zionist or any Israeli, I don't need to go back in history to prove that the lands were stolen. Now we have a live example, but the world uh, decides to neglect our suffering and just keeps blinding their eyes about the situation. I know. Have you been part of the protests? Been to Sheikh Jarrah? Are you seeing what's going on there? I try to cover as much as possible, but I have now uh, a physical disability that was caused in the Palestinian uh, displaced village of Lifta. I was touring that displaced uh, village that was ethnically cleansed at 1948. So while I was walking around there, I fell into a hole that was uh, approximately 14 meters, which is 46 feet, I I guess. And uh, luckily, I survived it. And later, I learned that this hole was uh, done because of an Israeli missile back at 1948. So I was basically going to be ethnically cleansed, <laughs> cleansed by the same... Years later. Yes. So it was hard for me just to go and the protest, but I, I tried to cover them up. And now it's just crazy how it's all going back again from zero. We're expecting some news during this week about the most recent appeal. The Palestinians have put in an appeal, obviously. We don't hold much hope. What's your feeling on the ground about the situation? Sadly, we have we had a similar case at 2009, and the Israeli court ruled that the house is should be evacuated for the sake of the Israeli settlers. So having a similar case makes you able to come to a conclusion, which is the houses will end up in the hands of the settlers. But the media now is just covering, not the uh, mainstream media, we are just keep raising awareness about this issue, gathering people. Now Sheikh Jarrah is under a huge spotlight more than ever before. So we hope that this might create a sense of pressure on the Israeli Supreme Court. Still, we are waiting for the verdict that will be issued today. So we are all now stressed about this issue. I think we should also point out that the courts suggested that the Palestinians negotiate with the settlers that wanted to take over the house. Yes, they did. Um, like that's going to work. Yeah, no, no, people refused it, absolutely, because they offered a deal, a very creepy deal, tells that each Palestinian family needs to choose one of its members and this member, when when uh, he or she dies, the house can be inherited by these settlers. It's really the, uh, that that deal. It just doesn't make sense and drove Palestinians more crazy. Of course, it doesn't. I know across the road that uh, you know the settlers took over the home across the road from the family quite a few years ago. But the Palestinian family were living on the couch at the front of that house for for at least a year. So this is not new to be happening here. I mean, the world should have really had an outrage previously, but it looks like it's going to start happening quicker. I witnessed a demolition not far from this family's house. And, you know, I know Muhammad. I spent time in this exact house. I also spoke to a settler who was living in the very front of the house, who was a, coming from America, who didn't work. He was paid and he admitted that he was paid to live there for three months and make it difficult for the neighbours. So they'd leave. So another form of, of trying to do it. Sex has a makes my blood boil because last time I was there, which was a few years ago, they had blocked the entire area off. The Palestinians had to stay in their houses. They weren't allowed out. While you had these rampant racist people chanting horrible things about Palestinians. And I had on video where I spoke to these kids and I said, you know, have you ever met a Palestinian? They said, why would I? They're terrorists. And so these kids that are going to be given houses 
have families, teach their kids to be racist, is just going to continue on. But that entire area is a very scary place now. Indeed, it's like now a nest filled of radicals, especially that we were exposed to this radicalism a couple of weeks ago when the Lahavas, a Jewish extremely right-wing group, started to say that they want to kill and burn the Arabs together in massive protests. So now we are more exposed than ever to the uh, radicality of the Zionist settlers in, at Jerusalem. Talk a little bit more about Lahava. That didn't get any coverage here uh, in Melbourne or in Australia about the, the roving gangs and what they were actually shouting and what they were trying to do. Yes, to start with, it just all began a month ago when the Israeli settlers started attacking Palestinian bus drivers of Egypt buses. Egypt buses are buses of the Israelis, of the settlers. Most of the drivers there are Arabs. So they started attacking them for no reason, especially at Purim, which I call the Jewish Halloween, when they just wear customs and so on. So it's like uh, an activity during Purim to attack Arab drivers. Later, as a response, many Palestinians uh, had TikTok videos, like they are just three or five videos that shows a couple of Arabs bullying Jews, not uh, abusing, bullying. So they, uh, so Ramadan came, they closed the Moscow's gate by the government for no reason. And the Moscow's gate is well known to be like our cultural hub as Palestinians in Jerusalem together in, especially that our houses are very small. We don't have backyards, we don't have gardens, we don't live that American dream. So you need to find a spot to sit in. So Damascus Gate is our spot. So when the government decided to close it, especially during the days of Ramadan, which are the heart of gatherings, this caused a mass anger by the Palestinians, but it was heavily controlled by the armed army. As a response, people started to displace the, their anger on the settlers that walk around, like to tease them. So the Hava took all that sceneries from what happened since the buses until the moment of Ramadan, the beginning of Ramadan, and started a slogan that we should burn all Arab and kill all Arabs because they are harassing us. So as a response for bullying, for bullying they came with terrorism. So they gathered in, uh, in huge numbers at Jaffa Street and started to racially profiling the people who are walking in that street to know who is Arab and who is not. In case you are Arab, you would get beaten by at least 100 persons under the protection of the Israeli government. So they started to gather more and more of Lahavists, or I don't know how to refer uh, to, to them, and started to come to East Jerusalem. And so violence and uh, escalated in a very significant way. I think we can describe them as Jewish fascists. And then, you know, one of the realities, as we saw in the most recent Israeli Knesset elections, right parties and far right parties now are, you know, more than 80% of the Knesset. So this is a representation, sadly, of where Israel has devolved to the, the inhumanity that has manifested itself into this level of supremacism is really troubling. And the violence was crazy. I mean, Palestinians were injured and beaten and some were shot by the police forces. But no similar actions. The police didn't do anything to the Lahavis. That's the... the well, they sit back and watch. The worst part, indeed, because the way they suppressed Palestinians is completely different from the way they suppressed these terrorist groups. And they are just suppressing those terrorist groups only for the sake of their protection because Palestinians were more than ready to clash with them. And they did. And they teach them, uh, taught them a lesson about... Uh, who is really the one in power because they just went, went, went crazy 
They just wanted to beat every Arab. They wanted all the things that I said about, which uh, drove Palestinians super angry. And it was like the ultimate war. And I even called that, that day the day of purge, referring to the American movie, that when you have one legal day for all the kind of violence, that was exactly the same scenery and how the Israeli government gave them the space to do whatever they want. During this week as well, the settlers, they've set fire to land just outside of Burin in the West Bank. Yes, they did. And uh, this is a usual thing. They do this a lot around Hebron. But now uh, the media is finally exposing more about their terrorist actions, especially after what Lahava represented. Like Lahava was just... Like that representation that we always talked about, but no one believed us about it. So they just came and proved what we said about everything. I think a lot of the people in the Western countries, um, you know, especially here, that it, it's so outlandish what happens that you go, that's just not possible. That's not true. It's just so ridiculous that what Israel can get away with. And, you know, I, I witnessed it and it's there, it's on camera, but people just go, no, it's impossible. No place could behave like that. Exactly. And also, it's crazy how they have that international support. And like all the minor, like for example, now the most flaming topic for for me and for many people, the Israeli uh, IDF is using pressing on the neck, knee on the neck method heavily on the Palestinians. They are like trying to deliver a message during the suppressing of the Palestinians who are protesting at Sheikh Jarrah. They did it multiple times for three young Palestinian men uh, over the last three days. And on each day, we have this photograph that, saw, uh, that shows an Israeli soldier pressing his knee on the neck of a Palestinian, and nobody is talking about that. This is the George Floyd move. The United States police forces are trained by the Israeli state. It's a normal occasion, normal situation in Palestine. Adnan, why don't you tell us what life is like in uh, the old city? You live in the old city itself. How is it day to day, just managing all the soldiers, the police, getting to school, back, feeding, you know, your family? It's, to be honest, it's the worst. It's, it's very bad. We live under a coercive environment. Like you are seen always as the other, always as a threat, always as someone who should be checked and uh, questioned. Like whenever we go out and you are racially profiled, they know that you are Arab. They have the right to stop you, to touch your body in order to look for stuff. In addition to see your ID, put it in their tablets in order to see your previous files or previous history. If you have, like this is on daily basis, especially during COVID-19 when they have the ultimate power to, to control the masses as for the sake for not spreading the virus, they took advantage of this to create a sense of massive authority. So it was so Jerusalem or dealt with Jerusalem as a whole different country from the overall place. It was the old city like, like a prison. Every gate was closed and everyone was questioned. And after COVID and the way we just came back to life, everything was okay. But the Lahavas... Uh, did may ruin everything again. So being in the old city is just constant stress, constant fear. In addition to to the heavy military presence, you feel like you are living in a constant war. One one thing I noticed too when I was at the at the Damascus gates, I sat there for a while and I watched a lot of the Palestinians get pulled aside, and they've got a system where they almost put them on a pedestal, and an Israeli is holding a an M16 at them, you know, to make it look like a threat. I'm assuming they're, they're still doing that and you've probably been through that yourself? Yes, and also always. And in addition, now because the media can always see them doing that physical search in the streets, 
they made in Damascus Gate like three metal umbrellas. I don't know how to call them in English. So these metal umbrellas are like a space where they can take anyone they want in order to do all the kind of search for them. So it's like a station to be pulled up to. Like now it's official, more than ever. Adnan, we talked about your, your life in the old city. The Palestinian elections were supposed to be happening very soon. We just had uh, the announcement by uh, President Abbas that the elections are being postponed. The reason was that the Israelis would not allow Jerusalemites like yourself to participate in the election. What do you make of that as an excuse? And number one, and number two, about the Israelis uh, denying you that right to participate in Palestinian uh, elections? First, we are uh, unable also to participate in the Israeli elections too. We are stateless. So you are neither Israeli nor Palestinian in the official papers, which makes us like marginalized. Still, this sense of marginalization and alienation makes us even stronger because it creates a sense of unity, which makes the people, the Palestinians of Jerusalem, united under the same purpose and idea which is Palestine. So we are not divided to many groups like Fatah, Hamas, blah, blah, blah. We are known to be Al-Maqdisiyin, Jerusalemites, Palestinians of Jerusalem. We always defend Palestine and so on. So I think, I don't know, it's just, it's like a well-known idea that we don't fall for that uh, political parties as Jerusalemites. Still, we have the right to vote. That's what I believe. Either on the Israeli side or the Palestinian one. We are unable to vote in uh, yeah. neither of them. This great democratic society of Israel, they call it, doesn't allow you to vote and things like that. It's just outrageous. So have you had a chance to see the Human Rights Watch report, Adnan? Did you read that at all? Yes, I did. I did. I mean, my first impression was, why does it? Uh, why did it take you so long to state the obvious, to state these facts? I appreciate this so much that they did finally acknowledge the kind of division that a Palestinian the diaspora had to go through after the occupation. Still, I see it as a first step, waiting for more by them. Just for our listeners, what was it that uh, they should have said years ago? Just for those that don't know, what have they said now? So Human Rights Watch, which is a New York-based NGO that monitors human rights all over the world, has has released a report, 200-odd pages earlier this week, charging Israel with the crime of apartheid and has urged countries all over the world to start sanctioning Israel and has uh, said that the International Criminal Court should start an investigation into the crime of apartheid, that Israel is practicing apartheid, which is a, a crime in the International Criminal Court. Yes, oh, I know I know the report. Like They, they did make a, an Instagram post that went viral. Even many celebrities shared it, the post about the situation in Palestine. Still, many Israelis started denying it. And to say that the graphics that used in the Instagram post are so whitewashed. They always try to make things about them. Like even if finally that we are receiving some light to be shed about our cause, they are just trying to refute it. Increasingly, I mean, we talk about it being apartheid all the time on the show, Adnan. But this year we had Beth Salem, you know, the Israeli human rights organization say it was apartheid. Now, these, on top of that Human Rights Watch, this is a significant movement in the white space. You know, the fact Palestinians have been saying it's apartheid for decades. Uh, the Reverend Desmond Tutu said it's worse than apartheid. You know, the reality is the Sharpeville massacres that polarized the whole of the West into action against apartheid South Africa was white police officers using 
some rifles and some truncheons against some protests. They never had to deal with Apache helicopters. They never had to deal with stormtroopers the way the uh, Israeli armed forces is armed, let alone the very matrix of control, every level of Palestinian life, whether it be the birth registry, the death registry, the internet spectrum, access in, out, education, etc. Even the water system. Even the water system. I mean, you know, the reality is you're a, a resident and a citizen of the old city. You pay municipal taxes, yet your school is underfunded. Your rubbish collection is undercollected. Everything is, there's a separate system completely for yourself. Oh, and it's a vast, when you see it too, it's just blighted. Over and above which we should go back to Sheikh Jarrah. The reality is the Jewish settlers are using the Israeli civil court to prove ownership over the land with forged documents. Now, I think it's a wonderful thing that they've got a court that allows people to prove ownership over their land, but it should go both ways. These families, these Palestinian families that are in Sheikh Jarrah, because they were ethnically cleansed from Haifa and Yaffa in 1948, they should be able to use the same court system and go back and claim their homes. Now that would be justice, that would be fair, that would be equality under law. But as we know, the Palestinians are not able to get that level of uh, legal protection. Any, any country in the world, though, someone's been living in a house for you know, 40, 50 years, and then all of a sudden strangers turn up and say, look, I, I want it. And you've got a video of a saying, I'm going to steal your house. And the residents are saying, no, you're not. And then he says, if I don't steal it, someone else will. Yeah, that video is like more helpful than any report about the apartheid because it just shows the Zionist ideology in those little few naive lines. He's he's literally, literally describing how the system functions. And the girl, who the Palestinian girl who was arguing with him is called Mun al-Kurd. It's, like, it's for me now a purely feminist icon of resistance. She carried the whole case of Sheikh Jarrah and two days ago she was beaten with her while defending her brother he was being arrested her brother Mahmoud not Mohammed. she's just a great example of the resilient Palestinian women I think that her strength is what is going to stop what's happening at Sheikh Jarrah I know it sounds very sophisticated yeah. but no it's a fact she's really the hero of the scene yeah and, and her brother Mohammed he, he um I mean he's been studying in America he can sing he can write he, he is a is a fantastic person that family was one of the families that really cemented me into oh my god what the hell is happening in this country because i witnessed settlers abusing them i witnessed a settler living in the front part of the house who was just completely rude and he knew he was there to steal the house they should just leave is what they were saying yes and also as you said before they were paying multiple israeli settlers to come and yeah. stay there like it's yeah. three months a new face yeah. always they drove them crazy. Every three months. The worst, yes. the, the worst kind of people, like the rubbish of the Israeli society, were being brought to their house. There's also another family I spent time with, another Muhammad, who was a 16-year-old kid. Uh, and one, one evening, a whole lot of uh, Jewish settlers came into the house and beat the mother and beat his father. And he ended up hitting a few of the, the kids. And he was put in, in jail for three, three or four months because he was sticking up, even though there was proof that they were in his house. Well, this group had come to try and get them to leave. And it was, you know, it's a four doors up the street on the other side. And then I also saw a house demolition uh, a little bit further down that street where there's now a big development. And this whole family was, you know, they had schoolgirls, you know, come home from school and they had nowhere to go. There was nothing going on. And that's been going on for years and no one cares about that. So let's hope that this is the time that, you know, the time that we can all 
yell and you know stick up for that family and you know his sister's doing a fantastic yes, job she's fantastic doing job. It. and also to be honest for me and for many people now we realize that we need to raise our voice to uh, towards the western world not the arabic one the arabic one yes. let them no no it's the western yeah i mean like europe in general because you know the arabic side is completely useless especially with the normalization for the sake of businesses and so on and for the lack of understanding of the fundamental rights of the humans. So I think the West can connect more to our struggle, especially that what Nasser told me before we started the meeting, that someone like him who was a grew in uh, Australia cannot handle being here for two weeks uh, due to the amount of oppression and uh, discrimination that is filling the area. There's something about seeing and not being able to help is a, is a horrible thing as well and when you're cemented in the western world like australia that is there's a lot of pro-palestinian people but the government doesn't represent those people hopefully one day it'll change hopefully because everybody says that i support palestine but the government there is that uh, this common issue of the governments that need to be solved and i think that it needs only time because this young generation that is very aware about the palestinian situation will come in the future and become in uh, political positions and in higher positions. So I hope that there will be a significant change about how we are seen by the West. As human beings? Yeah, at least. You'd like to be just seen as human beings, you know, that want to live in peace. <laughs> at least. I just want to give some context. I was speaking about whenever I go to Palestine, I'm, I come back in awe of the Palestinian people, A, their steadfastness, but yeah. also the, the resilience and patience. Strength. I mean that this is something that I struggle with and it's because my mind is Western. I've grown up in the West, which, you know, went to Afghanistan to fight for freedom, decided to bomb Baghdad back to uh, the Stone Age and liberated Libya. And delivering democracy means killing brown people. When you go to Palestine as a Palestinian who's grown up in exile, as a refugee, who's got less rights than a Jewish man from New York, we'll put the, the audio with Munna Al-Kurd's video of this uh, settler into it and put a link into it into the podcast so you can actually see uh, the vision of the guy justifying why he's taking the home, that this guy has got more rights to a land thousands of years ago his people came from. And that factually, my claim is 72 years ago from when my father was ethnically cleansed. My claim is less than his because I celebrate God on a different day. And this is what apartheid is. And this is why Israel is a failed state and it will fail and eventually be held to account. And we will be free. Then and one day, inshallah, and hopefully it's soon, we'll be able to drink a coffee together at the end of Ramadan and uh, share some time together, my friend. Inshallah, it would be a pleasure for me to meet you guys. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Adnan. And keep up the good struggle. Our love and thought and prayers are with you all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And Ramadan Kareem. And to you too, Habib. Keep in touch. Listen into the next 20 or 30 seconds of some very disturbing American Zionist settler logic. Munal Kurd videotaped what he had to say. Jacob, you know this is not your house. Yes, but if I go, you don't go back. So what's the problem? Why are you yelling at me? I didn't do this. I didn't do this. But you're you're, it's you're, easy to yell at me, but I didn't do this. Yeah, you are helping. stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. Anytime anyone tells you that Palestine wasn't stolen, that Zionists didn't come to steal Palestine, they stole it furnished, we say, there's the smoking gun. Surely now the indefensible will no longer be defended. That Palestine was a land without people for people without a land. Here we have an American settler outright 
with full audacity and without fear or compunction, saying that he is stealing this Palestinian woman's home, the Al-Qurd family, who are original, displaced, ethnically cleansed Palestinians from Haifa and Yaffa area. These settlers are using the Israeli court system and forged documents to lay claim over this Palestinian land, and yet the Palestinians are denied the same right to legal address to return to their homes that they were ethnically cleansed from in Haifa and Yaffa. The same right that all Palestinians are denied for their right of return, even though Israel's admission into the United Nations was predicated on the full application of UN Resolution 194 that demanded the return of all Palestinian refugees and or compensation paid for those that did not want to come. Israel never abided by that condition as it continues to not abide by many United Nations resolutions. It's a pariah state. These settlers are illegal settlers. They are pariahs. The world should hold Israel to account. Exactly what Human Rights Watch said, B'Tselem and all the Palestinians have been saying, it's an apartheid pariah state. It's time to boycott, divest and sanction this state. Hold it to account, make it accountable for its crimes and let the Palestinians enjoy their right of return and to go home. Thanks for listening. Share the podcast. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine. We're coming into May when we commemorate Nakba when Palestinians lost Palestine. Free Palestine Melbourne's organising a rally on the 22nd of May at 1pm at the State Library of Victoria. So put that in your calendars from now, Saturday the 22nd of May at 1pm. Hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Share the podcast. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine. ويشد يشد بي البعد أنا في أفيائك نسرين أنا زهر شوك أنا الورد سندك